So those of you who don't know or haven't been here for the last few weeks, you know, I've been doing a series of talks, uh, kind of starting with, well, the specific teachings for uh, lay practitioners, people that are non-monastics, and then uh, the, you know, the story of the Buddha and the Buddha's uh, enlightenment, and then um, the razor's edge, the middle way, the four noble truths last week, which are actually being recorded in my other group. I'm also recording them here so they can be found online. Uh, but the, you know, there's some video recording that's happening in my other meditation group, and um, so they can be accessed through the Facebook page. I feel a little weird about the fact that there's like videos up on Facebook, but whatever. It's for the good of the Dharma, and that's what matters. So tonight, so so tonight, I'm gonna just I'm gonna unpack the first noble truth, the, and give a little bit of kind of. Recap of the Four Noble Truths, but I'm going to be each week going through, you know, the First Noble Truth, Second Noble Truth, Third Noble Truth, Fourth Noble Truth, and then from the Fourth Noble Truth launching off into the Eightfold Path, which is, in essence, the whole of the Dharma, the whole of the Buddhist teaching. So tonight, really looking at the First Noble Truth, right? That there is suffering in this world. And I'm going to I'm really calling it aspects of suffering. So, before I do that, really just to speak a little bit about kind of uh, some of the ways that the Buddha has been kind of regarded as. The Buddha has been regarded as one of the you know, most world-renowned philosophers. Not only of his time, he was definitely thought of as that, but also throughout time. And is up there with Plato and Aristotle... <laughs> And, um, you know, I even think, you know, Freud and, you know, the, the beginning of kind of psychoanalysis and what we're calling Western psychology. Because the Buddha wasn't just a philosopher. He didn't just think about problems and think about, you know, just have theories. But he was actually very uh, practical and a pragmatist. And um, some would say even a doctor or a psychiatrist or psychoanalyst in some ways because he was re- really interested in the the primary or he was interested primarily in how we can alleviate suffering what's called dukkha dukkha which is a poly word that you know is most tr- most translated as suffering and I'll break it down a little bit some of my other opinions about it or thoughts about it what I've learned So it's, it's said that, um, you know, when the Buddha was asked, you know, what do you teach? What's your philosophy? You know, this kind of thing. Uh, he often would say, I teach one thing and one thing only. And that is that there is suffering in this world and freedom from. And bo- you know, both things must be known. So kind of on the understanding of like the the Buddha as uh, a doctor and the Dharma as medicine. I like to think of it um, where the first noble truth, there is suffering in this world, is considered the ailment. It's what we're all ailing from. The suffering that we experience. And, and I'll break, I'm going to be breaking that down. Then there's the diagnosis. Right. What's the cause of this suffering? 
craving. Self-centered, selfish craving. That's the Buddha's pointing to. Then the, the prognosis. There's a, there's a good prognosis. There can be an end to suffering. It's possible. And the way the Buddha would teach it is it's possible because I have achieved it. And I wouldn't teach it if it wasn't possible. So what he was saying is that just his mind was no different than our minds. Yet there was a, a lot of dedication and practice and... Um, you know, even some would even say lifetimes. Feel free to move, Bill, if that's a you know, you're in the sunny spot. Yeah. Okay. No need to cause more suffering for yourself. <laughs> so that there's this prognosis, you know, that uh, suffering can be alleviated. It's possible a complete end to suffering. And then that there's the treatment, which is the eightfold path. The steps for freedom. The program, the whatever you want to call it. You know. The path is what it's often called. That actually in the time of the Buddha, there wasn't, um, there wasn't a religion. You know, the, the, it was never talked of that the Buddha's teaching was a religion. That came later, hundreds and hundreds of years later. Some would even say maybe it, 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 it actually started being called a religion when uh, Western translators started to translate the Pali and they didn't have an understanding. So they, they used their Western ideological understanding, which was, oh, this is a religion. This is a group of people that practice this. This person was a, you know, Messiah or something. My theory, anyway. I'm not the only one, but... That's my theory. Okay, so there's this ailment, this diagnosis, this prognosis, and this treatment. I really like to look at it this way. Because it just it takes some of the religiosity out of it. Not that religion is bad, but you know, it's not all good either, as we all know. So one of the main kind of themes uh, that the Buddha talks about again and again is cause and effect. We all know this, cause and effect. Uh, one of the ways that Tanasaro uh, Bhikkhu uh, um, talks about it is this, that, conditionality. Because of this, there is that. Right? Because of the craving and clinging to our experience being other than it is, there's suffering. It's interesting that you know, the Buddha actually led with suffering, right? That's not a very good marketing scheme. There's, there's suffering in this, in this world. Everyone's, you're all suffering. But he wanted to get people's attention. He wasn't into uh, uh, marketing, you know? He wasn't like, there's an end to suffering. And this is how. No, he was right to the point. Look at suffering. See it clearly. This is what the First Noble Truth is about. And what is suffering? Craving is suffering. The cause is the ailment. 
Craving and suffering, they are not separate. The word uh, that I like to really use and the word that's I think fits the most is, is called tanha. In, in Pali, the word tanha means craving, but it also really means thirst, the unquenchable thirst. Talked about that last week. So let's just think about this. You know, there's craving. We all are pretty aware of it. Uh, at least I hope so. So does getting what we want bring us happiness? Like lasting, true happiness. This is what we've been told. This is what we've been given as the bill of goods, right? We've been kind of programmed to believe that, especially, I mean, in our culture, Western culture, but not just in Western culture, you know. This was 2,556 years ago uh, in northern India that this was being kind of... So that idea of, uh, you know, if I just had that, then I'd be happy. The right relationship, the new iPhone, that car that I just saw drive by. I'm currently obsessing on, on Harleys right now. I'm like, if I had that one, you know, panhead with the rigid frame, that then I would be happy. You know, I remember uh, it's years ago now. I got my um, my truck that I've had for I don't know twelve years now. And as soon as I bought it, it was brand new. And I bought it, it was like, oh, oh, 10, 11 years. It was two thousand one. Uh, brand new when I got it, and it was what I wanted. I got it. I, I literally I drove it off the lot. And saw a tundra. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's really... And it was like smoke gray and four, four door. You know, they, or they, they had just come out with the Ford. And I was like, oh, I want that. <laughs> but I have this. I just paid, you know, $28,000 for it or whatever it was. You know. I still have the truck, though. It's awesome. Contentment with what is, right? So the first noble truth is a practice. It's not necessarily a belief. You don't have to believe in it. You have to experience it. There is suffering in this world. Don't deny it. But you don't have to like just buy it either, right? Gets hot over there, huh? So the, the, the point is to understand. Understand the first noble truth. Understanding of our suffering. Dukkha. Dukkha can be translated as stress. Dissatisfaction. Anguish. One of my favorites actually, anguish. Discomfort. We're all pretty addicted to comfort. Just try to sit still for 30 minutes. Comfort, discomfort, discontent. I really think of uh, 
Suffering is mental anguish. It can be known. Right? We can experience it. We can know it. Yet, we've been conditioned and we continue to be conditioned. Uh, deep conditioning. Primal conditioning to avoid suffering. To avoid the, the acknowledgement of it. Right? We have whole strategies, lifetimes of strategies set up. Learned behaviors, instinctual behaviors to keep avoiding suffering. So there's this thread of unsatisfactoriness. This is really what the Buddha's talking about. That from our birth day to our death day, what we're calling suffering is this thread of unsatisfactoriness. That if we don't acknowledge it, we're just going to habitually continue to kind of cause it again and again and again. So I was also thinking of noble, right? No, why is it a noble truth? Why are there the four noble truths? Lofty. Right? Lifted up. Why is this? It's noble, this is from Gil Fronsdale. It's noble because if it's understood, it can be transformed. And then um, Ajahn Chah, one of my teacher's teacher's teachers, actually several, several of my teacher's teachers, said that uh, there's kind of two kinds of dukkha that we can look at. There's the dukkha that causes dukkha. There's the suffering that causes suffering. And then, and then there's the suffering that brings us to an end of suffering. And that Ajahn Chah, who was, you know, um, some would say uh, an arahant, an enlightened being. And I believe that, actually, to be true. Based on his teachings and based on the, uh, the seed that gr- has grown into so many of the teachers that are uh, now Western teachers. That uh, Jack Cornfield talks about when he was a monk there, and Ajahn Sumedho too, uh, and Ajahn Pasano says it also, that um, Ajahn Chah would you know, just kind of mull around the monastery, just kind of, how are you today? You know, just asking people. And, and, and most of it's like, you know, he's, he's the head dude, right? So they would be like, oh, I'm good, you know, I'm good. And, and he would say, oh, not much, you know, not much enlightenment here, not much awakening here. Because suffering is the key. So if he, uh, if he would ask that question and someone would go, oh, I'm suffering because of this or I'm suffering because of that, he would say, oh, good, good. <laughs> Carry on. You know? Something to work on. Something to work with. So these Four Noble Truths are um, really broken down into three aspects of understanding. Uh, and all four of them are kind of there. There's these. There's this is what needs to be done in understanding. Right? There is the truth of there is the truth of suffering. So, first acknowledging that that this that there is a truth of suffering, not avoiding it, not denying it. 
Suffering should be understood. So acknowledging it and then understanding it. I'm going to talk a little bit more about these, right? And then suffering has been understood. So this is the past tense. Once we've understood it, then we can do something about it. So truth of suffering, right? Not being in denial of suffering. It's universal. It's not just us. It's not just me. I'm not the only one suffering. So it's actually all beings suffer. Understanding that. Taking the personality out of it, the, 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 the kind of uh, identification. This is my suffering. We love to do that. This is dukkha dukkha. Right? There is suffering. And then when I cling to it and make it mine, it takes a whole other layer So to be understood, oh, you know, there's that, that old saying, right? Uh, pain is mandatory, but suffering is optional. That's true. Because in the understanding of, um, in the understanding of, uh, of suffering, it's not saying that we're not going to have pain in our lives. It's not saying that we're gonna, not going to have difficulty Challenges, deaths, divorce, separation, being broke, whatever. It's saying that we don't have to cling to it. We don't have to uh, own it and hold on to it and lament over it. So to be understood. Not resisting or denying it. How do I suffer? Understanding how I, how I suffer. Oh, this is suffering. When we can come to, and you know, on retreat, this really happens. It's, it happens, but it also happens in our daily life too. When we can just stop, because so often we're just swept away and just caught in the suffering. I was talking uh, one of my uh, one of the teachers a while ago uh, was was talking to me about um, how we get, like, you know, and imagine that there's this, like, kind of like our little iPhones or our iPads, whatever, that you can make the screen bigger. And we're, like, caught in our suffering. and We can't see anything else. We're just in it. We're just in the movie of our suffering, right? But yet, if we can make the screen smaller and kind of put it up on the corner, you know, like a little window, then we can look at it. We have a little separation from it. This practice does that. Stay with the breath. Stay with the body. See the stories of the mind, but don't identify with them. Allow them. Or the thoughts. You know, some of you guys talked about thoughts. There's this great um, Sylvia Bornstein who gave me this uh, little tidbit. She said, you know, if you're really caught up in your own thoughts during meditation, just imagine they're coming from the person behind you. (laughs) And then they're not personal at all. They're just the thoughts that are floating from that person to you. Because as you guys shared, they're all pretty similar, aren't they? So suffering has been understood. This is uh, 
kind of past tense, right? This is the insight. Oh, I understand this suffering. I understand how it's caused. I may, I may continue to cause it. it, may con- it it's going to continue to probably happen in some way. But at least, there's the under, at least there's the insight. And just so you know, in case you haven't experienced this, insights, they arise, they stay for a time, and they pass away. When they arise and don't pass away, that's called enlightenment. Right? So don't take it so seriously. You know, we, we can hold on to aspects. So, you know, I've, I've had some insights or some experiences where I was like, wow, and I can still recall them. But the full knowledge of that insight, it's gone. So not clinging to that, it's helpful. So in the you know in the first noble truth the the, the of the Buddhist teaching it just describes dukkha. You know, the Buddha gave a, gave a simile, often uh, gave a simile talking about uh, suffering. Right? It's called the simile of the darts, the two darts. So the one dart is uh, just the pain of life, the vicissitudes of life. And then, so it's as if we get... We get, we, we get stabbed by a dart. We get shot by a dart, right? And then uh, suffering is taking a second dart and stabbing ourselves. Right? To avoid the first dart and the pain of the first dart, say, I don't know, a relationship breakup. Painful. Unless it was like a horrible relationship. Then it was just suffering the whole way through as you stayed in it, wanting something different. So maybe there's some relief. But, for the sake of the example, <laughs> a painful breakup. That's, that's the way it goes with breakups, often. right? But when we're lamenting over it, or you know, uh, we're causing more suffering. Instead of looking at that which is uncomfortable, and you know, I see this a lot where people then they, they start acting out crazy when they, they have a breakup or or uh, if somebody dies, death is painful, but it doesn't have to be more than that. I've, I actually came off retreat and uh, got news of two suicides in a week of people that I knew. It was, it was painful. What can you do? Live your life fully. That's what we can do. And try to be there for others. Yeah? Okay, so a couple aspects of just kind of looking at suffering a little more deeply, right? So first there's the suffering of suffering, right? I've already kind of talked about this. This is the way in which we hold on to suffering. We dwell in it. And you know, some people even look forward to it. Or at least they expect it. They expect that life, they've gotten used to the suffering. Kind of, it's like, that's like, uh, what's that? Like, like sitting in your own mess, you know? Like, it's comfortable, it's cozy, it's warm. 
right? Familiar, predictable, safe, and painful. Again and again, this is dukkha dukkha. This is that second dart, stabbing ourselves. Some people expect nothing less. They just, eh, they've grown tolerant of their suffering. Right? This is definitely, has been true for me in a lot of the kind of beginning of my kind of early adolescence into um, young adulthood. Just accepted, eh, life is going to be shitty. I should just get used to it. Not ever thinking there was any hope, you know. Luckily, though, I found the Dharma, actually. And recovering. Those two things have given me lots of hope. So the, the Buddha acknowledged, you know, not all life is suffering, but there is inherent suffering in this world. So just let's go. I'm going to go back to that kind of the at least expecting it, right? So it's a way of saying you know, I'm deserving of this suffering, even though it gets in in the way of my own natural peace and ease, of our own natural peace and ease, the natural peace and ease of the mind. This is another. Uh, this is actually that's a, an Ajahn Amaro quote. Ajahn Amaro talks about the natural peace and ease of the mind, which we're hoping to to reestablish. Through meditation practice. The natural peace and ease. That's already there. But we're so busy. Stabbing ourselves with darts. That we're not ever allowing. Our own hearts and minds to rest. In that place. So the Buddha was specific in saying, birth is suffering, aging is suffering, sickness is suffering, death is suffering, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, despair, all suffering. Not to obtain what one wants is suffering. Is that is Bruce snoozing back there? He's not suffering. <laughs> not to obtain what one wants is suffering. To obtain... What one does not want is suffering. So to get what one wants is suffering. Not to get what one wants is suffering. Basically, this is you know the primary suffering of impermanence. Right? That's what we're talking about. This this, this suffering of change. That which arises passes away. Whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, or neutral even. I'll move on. You know, this, this second aspect of suffering, uh, suffering of the creation of self. It's huge. And I'm going to have to unpack it more later. But it's this clinging to this identity of the way that we think that we're supposed to be. Which is often other than the way we are. Right? Back to that if I only had. More hair. Right? I don't know. 
bigger calves, or, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, whatever. <laughs> whatever it is, right? Other than the way that it is. This is this identity of self. Or, you know, it could be the material things too. But there's this, I, there's also this clinging to the aggregates right? as me or mine. Clinging to the aggregates as me or mine. Material form, right? This is what I'm talking about, the physical body. Sense faculties. If I only felt good all the time. But that's not possible. Because there's painful experiences of life. And so accepting that is key. You know, I talked last week about, you know, the Buddha, uh, you know, 29 left on his on his uh, truth-seeking journey, seven years later, uh, achieved Nibbana, full awakening. And then for 45 years after that, walked from town to town, village to village, in, in uh, ancient India. Ancient India is hot. India is hot. <laughs> and he slept outside, and he sat on rocks, he was very kind of humble and ardent in that way. There were some times that he was in palaces and whatnot when kings would say, please come because it would be good, good karma for them, right? But oftentimes if they were impure in their reasoning for wanting the Buddha to stay, he wouldn't go. He would say, you can come to me. I'll be under this tree. So he had back pain, physical pain. He had family members that died. So clearly in his teaching, it's not about that we're not going to have pain in life. It's that we don't have to make a big deal about it. Which we like to do. So this is all the understanding of kind of uh, clinging to this uh, creation of self. Suffering as a part of the creation of self. The identity, selfing. Right? So the other aspect, feelings. When we cling to feelings, we suffer. Right? We identify with our feelings. Perception. Uh, discerning the quality of things. Recognition, memory. Oh, if, it would, if I could only be like that. Or remember when it was like that. Clinging to perception Actually, clinging to perception as that's the way things are is also a form of suffering. So this is all kind of about creation of self. Mental fabrications. All the stories that run through our minds. Dangerous. Dangerous. Clinging to them. That's why I like that. Imagine that they're just stories from another person. Because they're either rehashing, right? Some old hurts, wounds, mistreatments, or rehearsing how we're going to do it differently and better and other than now. Often, these are what we get caught in. Consciousness. My consciousness. We identify with consciousness. It's not my consciousness. It's just consciousness. Or you could say awareness. Ajahn Sumedho, uh, one of these Thai forest old dudes, likes to say, uh, "Reality, or I'm sorry, consciousness is the reality of here and now. Period. That's it. Because where else is consciousness besides right now? 
Nowhere. But it, and it's not just mine. Because I'm not the only one conscious here, am I? He's away. Okay, so this last aspect of um, of suffering. It, I just want to like stop right here and say, if you're not getting all of this, totally fine. Right? This is a practice, like I said in the beginning. It's not a belief. You don't even have to buy it, actually. Don't buy it. Try it. Don't buy it. You are a really cute kid. You've been... You've been Infecting everyone. This whole I've, I've been watching. Conditioned suffering. Right. This is the suffering. So this is influenced by the causes and conditions. Cause and effect. Karma. Because of this, there is that. Because uh, of whatever negative thought patterns, negative behaviors, unskillful ways I've I've acted or we've acted in our past. There is some kind of karmic fruition. We don't get away with anything. You think you do, but you don't. This is a universal law. And so some suffering is just that. Suffering based on past action. Based on volitional action. And we can't know or figure it out. It's actually causes, uh, the, the Buddha said it causes vexation and craziness. Like insanity. Don't try to figure out karma. Why, this, why is this happening to me? Just be with it. Deal with it. Look at it. This is back to the first aspect. According to His Holiness the Dalai Lama, the root cause of suffering being ignorance and grasping, clinging at things that change, right? According to His Holiness and the Buddha's teachings, uh, the root cause of suffering can be eliminated by awareness of mental states as they arise. So by this mindful awareness of mental states as they arise, and then uh, relaxing, observing, and allowing Actually, the, the suffering can disintegrate. I'm here to say that that is true. That happens. You first have to be courageous enough to really look at it. So these mental states as they arise. So if we can uh, habituate our minds towards non-grasping, in essence, trans- transforming our minds, transforming our habits of mind, we will gain knowledge and come out of ignorance, and we will decrease suffering. This is how it works. I'm actually a little bit getting out of just defining suffering and really looking because it's all connected, right? If you see suffering, you see the cause of suffering. If you see the cause of suffering, then and you're mindful and aware, then you can begin to see that there's there's a way out. And if you can begin to see a way uh, uh, a way out, then you you're actually practicing the eightfold path. You're starting with right understanding. Oh, there's a way out of suffering. The Buddha was a smart dude. 
You know? I don't think I don't think I've really there's been maybe some after, right? But definitely in his time. So the other thing, uh, we don't, I don't have a whole lot of time to talk about this, so I'll just say it, right? That we need to develop an intolerance to our suffering. That comfortable, that comfortable, oh yeah, this is just the way life is. Life is suffering. This is really, so, you know, my buddy wrote that book, The Donald Punks, right? And so this was the punk ethic. Just wallow in suffering and be pissed about it. This was the essence of just the punk movement by itself. Right? Dead end. Kind of the hippie movement too, but it was the opposite. The, hip, the hippie movement was, let's really look at suffering and point our finger everywhere else and then get all blissed out on drugs. <laughs> right? And try to create some change. You know, I'll stop there with that. <laughs> So we need to develop an intolerance to our suffering. Reflect on suffering and the issues around it. Intolerance of suffering motivated the Buddha to find liberation from it. Intolerance of suffering. When he came across the heavenly messengers. Seeing an aging person, a sick person, a dead person. And then uh, a truth seeker. And being kind of shocked and extremely motivated the intolerance he couldn't just go back to the palace and wallow in pleasure because he saw the dissatisfaction in it the ignorance that was bliss was no longer bliss because he was acutely aware so maybe with this talk your own awareness of suffering, uh, you've moved out of denial and ignorance and into some awareness. We're really good at doing that. We like, we've created, like I said, lifetimes of strategies. The, the, the uh, consumerist society just continues to barrage us with ways to numb out. Numb out. Buy this. Go here. Do that. Las Vegas. No map, the whole place. That's what it's about. You ever walked around the back streets off the, in, in Las Vegas? Or you can even go to Reno. Right? Kind of the same smaller idea. Desolate. The people. Not all, but mostly. I'm sure there's a couple of Dharma centers or Christian centers or something around. The Buddha's challenge is for us to become free of our suffering. As he became free of his. So, if positive mental states arise in the mind, negative states can't arise. So this is this-that conditionality. This is the Buddhist teaching in essence. Just as from light moves into darkness, darkness also moves into light. Both can can, uh, take the same space at the same time. Negative mental qualities in the mind will decrease as we increase positive mental qualities. This, that, conditionality. This is, this is the essence of... I've said that a lot. This is the essence. There's a lot of essence. But it's all the same. This, that, conditionality is the essence. 
cause and effect. Of course, there's, of course, there's 300 other ways to look at it. Because the Buddha, uh, like us, you know, we, we talk with many different people. There are many different kind of selves here. With many different histories. Many different levels of understanding. And so, uh, and that's, just, that's also why there's different teachers here. So that uh, you might hear the same message, but from a different person spoken in a different way. Aspects of suffering. There's more, but there's actually a lot more. But, um, you know, that's enough for now. Because I'll continue next week talking about the cause of suffering. And you can't talk about the cause of suffering without talking about suffering. So I'll bring in whatever else I didn't get to. I want to end on time. So thank you.